Welcome to a bonus edition of the Ornstein and Chapman podcast. Now, the producers have rotated the squad slightly, resting the man who usually pulls the strings, Mark Chapman, and partnering alongside me today is our esteemed football news and investigations reporter, Matt Slater. Thanks very much for joining us, Matt. We've got you on to talk about your essential piece that has been published on The Athletic this morning that reveals the terrible state of Premier League club finances. Now, this piece and many more can be read in full by subscribing to The Athletic. You can now get access completely free for 90 days by heading to www.theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. Matt, what can subscribers learn from your piece, which I found fascinating? Just don't give too many of the juicy details away. All right, no spoilers. Uh, well, morning, everyone. Um, well, uh, I mean, you've said the title "terrible." That that is a quote. That is that is a financial expert's opinion. One of the one of the half a dozen that I spoke to for the piece, and and I think, I mean, it's based on the analysis of eighteen of the twenty clubs have actually now filed their accounts for the twenty eighteen nineteen season. So we have a we have a a good snapshot of where. The Premier League was last summer, last June, heading into the into last year's tra- summer's transfer window. The two clubs who, who haven't filed their accounts are are always a bit late: uh, Crystal Palace and Newcastle. And they've actually taken advantage of a special measure during the coronavirus crisis um, period that you you can delay the publication of your accounts by three months. So Newcastle and Palace are are not going to presumably not going to publish their accounts. At company's house until until the summer. Now, looking at the others, though, we can see a lot of red ink. There's a lot of debt out there. A lot of lots of losses. Um, I mean, we could pick out loads, but I mean, just broadly speaking, um, if we if we use Palace and Newcastle's figures from the year before, eight of the of the twenty made profit, twelve made losses, but. The losses are way bigger than the profits, and that the total loss is over three hundred million. Um, and they didn't go into this crisis. Look, no one saw this crisis coming, of course, but they didn't go into this crisis in great shape. What are the common factors that you feel from looking at these figures at Companies House and? analyzing them speaking to people that you've spoken to what are the common factors that have have put these clubs in peril i presume it's predominantly player salaries absolutely look the picture is look the story of the premier league over over the best part of 30 years is is is, is a very one of success you know if you think about where english football was in the 80s some terrible tragedies bradford heisel Hillsborough, the product on the pitch was, you know, look, you know, we loved it, but the, but the rest of the world didn't. You know, we were clearly a long way behind Syria, um, and and you have to acknowledge that 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 has to be that's part of the story. That the, the Premier League has been very very successful. The clubs have been have been successful. They've all they've all played a part, and now it's watched and loved by people around the world. And and it's that income from broadcasters. Around the world, not just here, that have that have catapulted, that have elevated the Premier League to its position now, where it is the the richest, most successful football competition in the world, and and, and second really only to the NFL in, in the states, and, and and it is closing that gap 
largely off the back of its of its enormous international appeal. Now, within that though, here is this 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 infamous prune juice effect that Alan Sugar identified when he ran Tottenham Hotspurs. That whatever comes in through the front door immediately goes out the back to the players. They are the stars. As soon as a player sees a new TV deal, as soon as a player's agent sees a new TV deal, deal, yeah, 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 we want a chunk of that. And the the owners, who are normally very successful business people in other parts of their life, just leave that in the car park. They, for whatever reason, agendas, just competitive drive, just wanting to play, glamour. That you know, they might not get any kudos for running a really successful building company, but they're in the papers every week for running a, a football team, and 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 just the, the practices that they would. That, for Monday to Friday, just are forgotten, and cost controls go out go out the window, and it's and it's yes because we're in a competition, and of course, overhanging all of that, of course, is promotion and relegation built into the system. Is this this these various cliff edges that that, that add the excitement, the jeopardy that we love, but make it very very hard for a business person to sort of plan and strategize and and think about normal business cycles. So, it's this. It's this wall, these walls of money that come from TV companies every three years with the never-ending demand of players and agents for a, for, a, for a piece of that. And for anyone that works in the game as well, for a piece of that. And, and sort of the owners just, just, just not behaving like business people in this space just creates this... It, it's an arms race. And uh, in arms races, you know... Uh, Inflation is is inevitable, and that's the that's the picture you get when you look at these 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 accounts. And one thing that I've been keen not to do is start turning on football and pretending that we haven't enjoyed these years of boom. These years of boom is what has made Premier League football so successful. One of Britain's greatest exports, you could argue. Certainly, from a sporting point of view, economic point of view, the government has benefited. Um, but it seems to now have come at a cost because um, we're looking at a doomsday scenario and that's quite a hard balance to strike. We can't sort of say the past was a disaster. It's clear that people have encouraged this. You know, the government, the, the, the league itself, regulation hasn't been ideal. People haven't prepared for this day. And you, of course, must say, and you pointed out, Nobody expected this and nobody expected um, a stoppage in play if there ever was to be one of quite this magnitude. But the picture now does look pretty bleak. Look, all of those things are true. And I think that's really important that we do state for the record that the Premier League has been an enormous success. And uh, if you if you like British football, you should be, you should be proud of that. Um you know, people care about our top flight more than they ever have before. And they care in Singapore and Bangalore and Vancouver. And that is remarkable. It really is remarkable if, if you've been watching and following it for as long as, you know, for, for as long as I have. Um, so, so well done. And you're right. And it raises enormous amounts of tax. Um, Charity. You yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned... How it's very important to UK PLC. I would I would also add the the soft power element, and there's this this wonderful idea of how a country's brand is important, how it projects itself to the world. 
you know, and the BBC is an example of that. So wherever you go in the world now, you can strike up a conversation about Premier League football. And that is a, you know, a, a feather in UK PLC's cap. That is that is that is an asset that, that, that Britain has when it trades and talks to the world. So all of that said, you know, absolutely is, is important to, to, to note. I think the point about this crisis is... No, no one saw COVID-19 coming. It's a novel coronavirus, of course, that's the whole point. But did football, which is part of the entertainment sector and pretty much everyone is in the same boat by and large, did it see any crisis coming? What Did, did it have any kind of rainy day fund? Was there any flexibility in the system, in the calendar? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I have enormous sympathy with anyone who's looking at their, their spreadsheets now, looking at their cash flow now, be it a restaurant business, an airline, whatever, whatever. They're all, they're all struggling. But did you guard yourself against any shock to the system? Because there have been other pandem pandemics. We've had SARS, we've had MERS, we've had avian flu. Um, th these things have been out there in memory. It wasn't that long ago we had the big financial crisis. So there have been shocks to the system within memory. Absolutely. You could, you could you know, what contingency plannings, planning did you have? Could you, even if you couldn't see this one, did you have any kind of plan for something unusual, shocking, something that would bring the season to a halt? And, and when I think and look and reflect on the last month, I... I think the answer is no. I just think it's a it's it's a pretty straightforward no, and that that doesn't I don't think reflect very well on 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 the clubs, the leagues, but also the governing bodies. Yeah, yeah, because we we we've talked a lot about owners and directors tests and and regulation and governance around this all, and in many walks of life and industries, um, you'll do whatever you're allowed to do, and and clubs have been allowed to run themselves in this way. It's been a great success in part, but. Now, perhaps we're seeing the other side of it. And you paraphrase the former Prime Minister, David Cameron, with the line, did you fix the roof while the sun was shining? And that really uh, strikes at the essence of the point you're making there. One of the tables I was really interested in in your piece was the, the wages to revenue uh, ratio. And the team that comes out of that the best is Tottenham. Um, and it's my understanding that as soon as play was stopped, Daniel Levy... Um, and um, this is touched upon in a piece by Charlie Eccleshare on The Athletic today, Daniel Levy was acutely aware of the potential ramifications of this. He feared that football wouldn't be coming back until late this year, possibly even 2021. He feared a, a large number of clubs would be insolvent throughout the leagues and that the biggest problem here was the player wages. Now, you've already touched upon that, but can you just explain for our audiences how potentially disastrous club finances are in as a result of player wages and why there has been so much focus on the media in the media and within the game discussions negotiations between the premier league and clubs the efl the uh, the the uh, pfa and the players about potential wage cuts and deferrals because this strikes at the heart of the matter and also a potential solution, notwithstanding the the billionaire owners, which we'll come on to in a moment. Yeah, sure. Look, it's 
it, it's perhaps the easiest way to think about it is let, let's let's look at your typical football club. They they have three main revenue streams, and they are their broadcast rights, um, their commercial operations, which you know is everything from sponsors to to selling duvets and bobble hats, and then match day, and that's you know your, your tickets, your food and beverage programs the lot anything that you know comes from from staging games those are your, those are your three revenue streams um now right now we're in a lockdown so there's no match day um you know commercials commercials ticking over hopefully although you're very reliant on your sponsors being able to continue to send the checks. And of course, they're not now getting the bang for the buck that they paid for. There's no football being played. There's none on TV. So, um, you know, if they if they haven't paid up front, they are very probably thinking about withholding their payments, particularly as they are likely to be struggling as well for all the reasons we've discussed before. So, so match day's a problem, massive problem. And commercial's a problem. You're, you're probably selling a lot less stuff as well in your club shop. And then broadcast. Now, broadcast for the Premier League is about 60% of the total pot. Now, if it's Sky and BT, who you've got a long-standing relationship with and who have paid a lot of it up front, most of it up front, then, okay, that's fine. You know, you can at least have conversations with them. You are, as I say, ongoing partners with them and a lot of built-up mutual appreciation. Um, you can perhaps give them more games in the next deal. You can you can make it right. There are things that can there are things that can happen there. However, you do owe them a quarter of a season. So so theoretically, you owe them and the other broadcast partners around the world seven hundred sixty two million pounds. Now, is everyone going to demand that money back? No, but some are already withholding payments. So we know that zone who have the the live rights in uh, Canada and Japan, Brazil, have already started to say, hold on guys, there's no games on. We're, we're not paying for this month. We know that BN Sports and Canal Plus are already doing the same in France. So there's a concern about your revenues, what you've got coming in. In the meantime, you've got your fixed costs. They're, they're coming, they're going, sorry. They're going, there's no, there's no lockdown there. And the biggest one by far is your player, your player wage bill, which is, I think at about 65% of your total revenue across the league. And at clubs like Bournemouth, it's 85%. Everton, 85%. Leicester, 84%. Just think about that for a minute. That's for every £1 Bournemouth make, they spend 85p on wages. Not utility bills, not repairs, not insurance, not travel costs, stationery. That's all got to come elsewhere. No, just the wage bill. And player contracts are fixed term contracts that you can't adjust, not unless the players agree. That's the row we've been having for the last couple of weeks. So it's those fixed term costs that are hurting football clubs. The cash flow's fallen off a cliff, fixed term costs. And the other big fixed term cost, of course, is transfer fees. And the clubs all owe each other instalments. You don't very rarely pay, you very rarely pay for, for a player all in one go. You do it in instalments. They all owe each other huge amounts of money. I think if you look at the accounts, I think it's something like there's 1.6 billion in transfer instalments owed within the league. They've got, I think, 700 million coming in. So there's 900 million pound deficit there. 
Now, a lot of that's going abroad. So this is where you get into the risk of contagion between leagues or clubs. So these are the risks. You've got the fixed-term costs of your players and you've got these transfer instalments to pay. Some of the owners could dig their clubs out of this hole, potentially. I know they have other business interests and um, and their own commitments and their own reasons, presumably. Some of it, you could say, might be greed and not want, wanting to bail football out. Others may be legitimate. Um, you have the players who could solve this, but they've got a right to earn and they don't want to just bail their owners out. And their concern at the moment seems to be providing for good causes, for lower paid staff. And so we have this um, standoff, really. Some have described it to us as as being a war. Going to put you on the spot slightly. What do you think is more likely? The players getting football out of a hole here via salary cuts and deferrals, um, adjustments of, of vary, varying sorts, or the owners, where possible, dipping their hands in their pockets, a combination of both, or does this battle just go on while football potentially goes under? No, it's, it's, it's a combination of both for me. Um, I think I think what we're going to get to is is a look. They've tried to do everything collectively um, with the players, and of course the problem there is you only have to look at these accounts and you can see we're talking about the, the range from the top to the bottom is remarkable. I mean there are various little mini leagues within the league in terms of income and profitability, and um, you know, and it's it's very very hard to find a, a sort of one size fits all policy for the clubs let alone the players. And then if you start thinking about the Championship, League 1, League 2, well, it only gets more and more and more complicated. So uh, the, I wouldn't say time has been wasted because I think it was worth a go, but the, the clubs are going to have to come to negotiated positions with their own players. And and I think I think we will get there. And I suspect it will be deferrals, not cuts. It might be a combination of both, but I think with an emphasis on deferrals, particularly in the Premier League. So the players are saying to the clubs, well, look, you know, you, you, know, you guys make money, certainly in terms of, of, of turnover, and we're at the beginning of a new TV cycle. So, you know, your, your finances should rebound, you know, should recover slightly. So they're not, they're not rushing to agree to pay cuts. That's, that's fine. They only, you know, they have a, what they often say, they only get about two or three good contracts. Um, and as someone remarked in my piece, you know, you, you'll, you'll never find a bricklayer saying no to, to, to a fabulous pay rise. And, and why, should we, why should we treat football as any different? So, so I think this, the, the, the football player club situation is, is complicated and has got a bit fraught. It certainly has got, it's got, it's got unnecessarily antagonistic, I think. But I suspect they will get there to a, to a position where um, um, you know, some kind of agreement can be reached. I think I think the owners though the owners definitely definitely as they have been as as many of them do on an almost annual basis be putting their hands in their pockets again and and this is where I think the interesting argument will be around things like UEFA's financial fair play rules um the Premier League's less um stringent um fair play rules and and the EFL's Pretty, pretty strict fair play rules. I can see them all being relaxed. They've already started to relax them. But I think the concept of financial fair play, which has attempted to bring some kind of sanity to this, and you could argue has, I think, almost worked over a decade. And certainly it's reduced 
insolvencies and brought down the debt pile within European football. It certainly hasn't um, arrested spending on player wages, but I think financial fair play is is as an idea is for normal times. These aren't normal times, so I can see financial fair play effectively being parked for this for this crisis. Um, and I suspect a more lenient approach will be taken just to insolvency rules as well. I think I think there are going to be there is going to be a lot of pain, a lot of clubs going to the wall or close to the wall, certainly further down the pyramid. And if you want to save as many of those, you're going to have to be a little more flexible. A lot of people that have been commenting on our pieces and on our podcast have said, but what about the lower leagues? And I would point out that Matt, especially, you've written a hell of a lot on the lower leagues. And we're not ignoring that. The The situation is, is dire um, because their revenue streams are, are far lower. But on this particular podcast, we are focusing on the Premier League. And I think one question that hasn't been asked so much in the wider debate about um, player salary cuts, um, owners, uh, the the overall Im- impact across the board, is could we actually see, l- let's boil it down to basics here, could we actually see Premier League clubs going under or coming very close? What What is the worst case scenario here? Because some of the clubs mentioned in your piece and the figures which startled me, the likes of Sheffield United's um, wage bill to turnover, uh, interestingly, the clubs with the scariest figures are the ones towards the bottom of the league. It's pretty obvious, but it's stark when you actually see it. The Bournemouth um, reliance on television money, etc. How dire is this? Well, just I should probably just caveat that point about the wage to turnover ratios of the three promoted clubs, because this pretty much happens every year. And this is this, I think, is one of the problems and one of the things that maybe we want to address if there's any lessons we learn from this. The championship is a from a from a financial point of view is a disaster zone. Um, they earn they earn far less from TV. So you know typically the worst the worst team in the Premier League is going to earn about 100 million pounds. I'm rounding it up slightly. 100 million pounds from TV. Teams in the in the championship earn about six and a half seven eight million. Huge huge gap. So you you nearly always see this promoted teams, you know, running running big losses. Certainly, relative to their to their overall turnover, and paying paying huge huge you know wage turnover ratios. So so you're right. I mean, Sheffield United was 195. percent That means they were spending almost two pounds for every one pound they bought in on wages. Villa and Norwich not far behind. But that's that's that is to do with the the strangeness and the and and how play how clubs in the Championship are incentivized to gamble. You know, because you can see it, you can almost touch it. I get to the Premier League and I get £100 million and suddenly my wage turnover ratio all makes sense. So Newcastle is a really good example of that because we're using their last their, their figures that are now 18 months old, if you like. You know, they recorded a loss in their, in, their, in their promotion season and then they made a profit in their first season in the Premier League. And I, I strongly suspect the Sheffield United... Uh, maybe not. Well, Villa, 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 Villa. Maybe not. But but I, I bet Sheffield United and Norwich make profits next year. Small profits, because they're doing well. Well, certainly Sheffield United are doing really well in the league. And if they make if they make Europe, they'll do they'll make a, a really good profit. So the, your, your three promoted teams are a sort of slightly different case. You're absolutely right. Your, your Bournemouths, your Watfords, your Burnleys, P- Palace, who 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 strongly eighty percent more than percent of their revenue comes on TV. So, 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 
I'm not suggesting that any of them are wobbling. Any of them are in the sort of situations that you find in, in the EFL where, you know, only last year, before this crisis, we lost Berry. We almost lost Bolton. They're not there. Macclesfield wobbling, lots of, lots of clubs, Morecambe, Southend, Oldham. There's a, there's a long list of, of, of clubs who are right on the edge. No one. I remember, I remember sort of Richard Scudamore made this point, the former Premier League chief executive, when Portsmouth went, which was a massive shock to the system. A massive, it, really, it really hurt the Premier League's confidence that a Premier League club had gone bust. And there was sort of a real kind of never again feeling. And that's when they introduced the beginnings of their financial fair play rules. And he used to say, look, for a Premier League club to go bust, they're going to have to almost try to go bust. There is no excuse for a Premier League club to go bust when business is normal, when the checks are still coming, when you're on when you're on that um, when you're on that sort of cycle, it's fine. It's fine. What we have now is a massive shock to the system that they didn't really see coming, and they weren't very well prepared for. And really, is now a matter of how long. When can they start playing again? When can they at least start satisfying the TV contracts? When when will we get back to that wonderful? You know, sunlit sun was it the sunlit uplands where 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 TV broadcasters start you know getting into auctions and seventy percent increases in, in in TV rights packages. When will they when will those salad days come back? And, and and sitting here right now, it's very very hard to make any kind of prediction of when normality returns. And these clubs are desperate to start playing again. They're desperate to get their cash flow going again. And at the very least at the very least, to make sure that they are not repaying any of the TV money they've already spent. Yeah. I'm going to wrap with three questions and feel free to just give relatively short answers so um, so we can sort of encapsulate your thoughts on all of them. The first is um, many people have been saying, why aren't the Premier League giving more money to the lower leagues? And that was something that came out of the PFA statement can they is one question. Secondly, are the big clubs, Manchester United, Manchester City, going to be able to clean up in the transfer market, capitalise, exploit uh, the lower Premier League clubs, the lower league clubs and clubs around Europe? Somebody suggested to me Manchester City have set aside a two million, two hundred million pound kitty to sign the best emerging and young players around, around the world and uh, dominate for the next 10 years. And then finally... Will the clubs use this as an opportunity to restructure and guard against this sort of predicament in their finances ever happening again if there's a crisis? Ah, right, I'll, uh, I'll I'll try and race through those. So, <laughs> so more more down the pyramid, more for the EFL. God, who knows? I mean, let's not forget why the Premier League was formed. It was formed for the big teams to take more of the pot, more a bigger share of of the revenues. You know, so that that's the that's the sort of raison d'etre of the of the Premier League, and you know they 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 send money down in parachute payments, they send money down in solidarity payments and academy grants. Um, it's not nearly as much as it used to be as a as a percentage of the overall pot as it used to be. You know, pre ninety two, um, you know the the sums go up, they creep up with the TV figures. Um, I I would more? like. I, it could, of course, it could. There's, I mean, why aren't they doing it right now? Because they haven't, they haven't got any reserves. The, the money they have sent are advances, advances on money that the AFL clubs are expecting in August, so in, in this summer. So, so there, there is no, you know, flexibility there. 
Um, I, I definitely think that if if football is going to use this as an opportunity to learn, um, shrinking the gaps between the divisions, there's a big one between League One and uh, the Championship as well, but the Championship to the Premier League is enormous. It's a, it's a cliff edge. And I think it is incentivizing bad behaviour in the Championship and uh, is not helping. Is not helping that division at all. And it's not helping you know clubs when they go in there either. I mean, the parachute payments, you know, you know, ease some of the pain, but within a couple of years, a lot of these clubs are, are still struggling. So, so I think if you could if yeah. you could reduce that gap, would be great. Are, the big are clubs some of yeah the big clubs up what, in the market? Well, I mean, potentially. Look, you know, crisis. I think is an old Chinese proverb. You know, opportunity as well. Um, everyone is struggling. You know, you look at airlines as I said before, and other and other sectors. The ones that get through this best are going to be in, are going to be in a strong position when everything picks up again. Of course they are. You know, you know, coming through this relatively unscathed, batten down the hatches, get through this, and then just look around because there's going to be some distressed assets out there. There's going to be some fire sales going on. So absolutely, there's potential there for clubs that can that can weather this best. And I would point people to your piece on that because the the the, the graphics show who looks like being in a more healthy position. And go ahead with your last point. And then and then restructuring. Yep. Yeah, I mean. Um, who knows? I mean, I this mean, can't lots happen of people... again. This can't be allowed well, to happen again. You, you say that, but I think human nature. We 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 forget. We move on. I I have no. I think we I think we're kind of getting into areas here where let's just see how dreadful and bad this is. It, it feels pretty bad at the moment. Will will football learn? Has football got a good track record of learning? It's, I'd say it's mixed. I'd say it's mixed. It, you know, it, it learned from Hillsborough. You know, did it learn from the financial crisis? Did it really learn from ITV Digital and Satanta? Mm, you know, no. Um, you know, we've 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 had people moaning about salary costs and pay cuts and 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 salary caps for years, and they've not done anything about it because different clubs have different agendas. It's really hard when you have a Premier League backed by oligarchs and sovereign wealth funds, and then you have American entrepreneurs who expect to make a profit, and then you have you know, smaller community clubs who are being responsible and you know, running a tidy ship. Where's the consensus there? There, there is no, there's, the consensus is impossible. Well, that's probably a good point to end it on. And uh, while I don't dispute your point, if they do not learn from this crisis and do not act accordingly in the future, then uh, football could be in a perilous state, an even more perilous state than than we're potentially looking at now. Matt, thank you so much, as always. Um, your insight is is invaluable for us. And we've given a flavour here of an incredibly detailed piece that gives a breakdown of every club in the Premier League, reveals the clubs that should come out of this in a slightly better shape and much more besides. That piece and a host of others can be read in full by subscribing to The Athletic. You can now get access completely free for 90 days by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Ornstein and Chapman. We'll speak to you again soon. Mm-hmm.